the state record flathead was 78 pounds. The state record blue cat was 54 pounds. The channel catfish, that fish was 36 pounds. But that is a completely abnormal thing to find channel catfish in that size. The way I look at a lot of things is I handle a lot of fish because I work as a as a fish guy, right? So I'm I'm messing with fish all the time. And so when I stop to take a picture of it, it's sure enough a big fish. I tend to take pictures of flatheads in that 25-pound-plus range. Blue cats are in that same range, that 25 pounds plus. But if, if I get a channel that's in that 15-pound-plus range, I will certainly stop to take pictures of them. Hello, New Mexico. James Pittman here with another edition of the New Mexico Wildlife Podcast. Well, it's officially summer now. It's getting pretty hot outside, and it kind of makes me think about summer catfishing. So today we're going to be talking all about catfishing in New Mexico, and to help us with that is the Warm Water Sports Fish Supervisor, Sean Denny. Sean, thanks for joining us today. No problem, sir. Well, Sean, tell us a little bit about yourself. Are, are you originally from here in New Mexico? Yes, I, I grew up in Carlsbad, and then I went to school in, in Las Cruces at New Mexico State. And when I graduated from there, I went to work for, for Game and Fish just out of school as a district officer. I was stationed in Las Cruces for a couple of years, and then I was what we used to call a fisheries manager out of Albuquerque for the Northwest region. Then I was a fisheries manager for the Southeast region out of Roswell. And I've, so I've basically been working out of Roswell for the last 20 years. I started, I started as the, the quote unquote catfish guy around the state probably in 2012. And then I've been the, the warm water sport fish supervisor was a fairly recent promotion. And, and how long have you been on with the department overall? Um, full time, I'm at. I'll be 25 years at the end of 2021. Wow! And then I, but I was around for four or five years before that, working co-ops and summer programs and that kind of thing. Wow! So quite a bit of uh, experience and a pretty long career then. Yes, sir. I've been around for a while. Well, tell us about that that recent change as the warm water fish supervisor. Tell us a little bit about what you do in that job. So the way the, the fisheries division is, is broken up, you know, we have the administrative staff and the chiefs and the bosses. Then we have a native fish side of the house and a sport fish side of the house. And on the, the sport fish side, we're broken up into a warm water team and cold water. So, my responsibility as a warm water team supervisor is I have three other biologists that, that work for me and we're responsible for all of the, the warm water sport fish management. So we do largemouth bass, smallmouth bass, stripers, white bass, catfish, um, walleye. All of those species are, are part of our project. So we mostly work on the larger reservoirs and then a lot of the small urban ponds around the state. Nice, nice. That sounds like quite a lot to stay on top of. Well, it we don't have a lot of water in New Mexico, but it's spread out, so a lot of travel. Yes, we wear out a pickup pretty fast. <laughs> well, speaking of catfish, what what species of catfish do we have here in New Mexico? So, it depends on how you break up catfish. When you really break it down and look at it, we have five species of catfish in New Mexico, but two of those species are bullheads. And so some people kind of separate those out. Um, we don't have a ton of bullheads. They're, they're even um, sorted out in the regulations, and so they don't count against your bag limit or anything like that. So as far as sport fish go and the catfish that people are looking for, we have three main species which are going to be Channel catfish, which are definitely the the most predominant around the state, blue catfish, and then flathead catfish. So 
catfish are around the the bulk of the state. Almost every region of the state has some form of a catfish fishery or another, whether it's in a big reservoir or a small stream or some of the small urban ponds around the around the state that we stock um, as part of one of our other programs. So the main thing to remember is, especially for blue catfish, they're basically exclusively in Elephant Butte Reservoir, and it has a lot of them, and it has some big ones. Flatheads are, are certainly in almost every river drainage in the state, by and large, um, there are higher densities of flatheads in in Elephant Butte, um, Sumner Lake, and then up and down the, the Rio Grande and the Pecos Rivers, it has a, a fair number of flatheads. Okay. Channel catfish are scattered all over the state. All the major reservoirs have channel catfish. Some of them, of course, have more than others. Um, and then Lots of the other small water bodies also have channel catfish around in them. So e- even in the northern part of the state then? Oh, yes, absolutely. You, you know, we have catfish. They have catfish in Minnesota and all the way up to Canada and everywhere else. So so catfish are thought of as a warm water species, but they can certainly tolerate some cold water. They just need warm water, at least a warm water season, to get any growth out of them. So one of the things that you see around the state is a lot of our our catfish, they, they tend to grow slow, so they're fairly old by the time they get big enough to harvest. Okay. Okay, so so knowing that there's catfish basically all over the state, what would you consider as the best catfish waters in the state? I guess first for folks focusing on looking for those really big trophy catfish and then flipping sides a little bit and looking at for folks that maybe just want to take their kids out and, and catch a few fish? Well, if, if you're looking for, for trophies and sure enough, big fish, Elephant Butte is far and away the the leader as far as the reservoirs go. Um, and mostly that's because it has a population of, of big blue cats and a, a pretty big population of big flatheads. You can certainly find big flatheads. Now, when I, everybody's definition of trophy can be a little bit different, right? If you talk to a, you know, a real catfish fisherman, they're looking for things in that 50, 70, 80 pound range. But some people may consider it a trophy because it's the biggest fish they ever caught in their life when it's at 15 or 20 pounds. So you, it seems like a lot of our flathead populations, a big fish for that population is in that 30 to 50 pound range, but you find those up and down the Pecos River, up and down the Rio Grande River, in the Gila River. You find them in Sumner Reservoir has has a fair number, um, and then all around in Elephant Butte. Elephant Butte also has historically has had some of those 75 pound plus fish in it. Wow. When you look for look at blue cats, you know it's definitely at Elephant Butte. And because that's really the kind of the last big population of them. I think there's a few in the lower Pecos, but not many. And and blue cats are it's a they're they're just a different fish, so you don't fish for them the same as you do for channels. But they get a lot bigger than a channel catfish. And elephant view, particularly along these days, even though the lake's getting is is fairly low because of our continuing drought, it's got a pretty kind of a split population there's a whole ton of blue cats that are like 16 inches long but then it's like they skip and then they jump up to these big fish that are in that a lots of that 30 to 50 pound range it seems like well well so knowing that i mean that, those those sound like huge fish to me to give me a little scale what are the record catfish that have been caught in new mexico the state record flathead came out of Elephant Butte, and it was 78 pounds. The state record blue cat was 54 pounds, and it was out of Elephant Butte. And those are, I can't remember the dates, but those are fairly old um, records. Okay. Um, and then the the channel catfish 
is out of stubble field, which that lake is actually dried up in recent years. But it, you know, that fish was 36 pounds, but that is a completely abnormal thing for a, to find channel catfish in that size. Really? Um, you know what, what, when you have a lot of that 10 pound size channel catfish, we consider that to be a, a really big population. Um, the way I look at a lot of things is I handle a lot of fish because I work as a, as a fish guy, right? So I'm, I'm messing with fish all the time. And so when I stop to take a picture of it, it's sure enough a big fish, right? Yeah. And so, so we, I tend to take pictures of, of flatheads in that 25 pound plus range. Um, blue cats are in that same range, that 25 pounds plus. But if, if I get a channel that's in that 15 pound plus range, I will certainly stop to take pictures of them. And I handle hundreds of channel catfish a year. Wow. Those are some, uh, some pretty hefty catfish. Yes. You can make a, a big catfish in a, in a lot of places, but by and large, you know, that, that trophy catfish angler, he fishes different than I think most of our public fish or people that are just getting into catfishing or, the way people think about the the stereotypical way that you catfish, um, those folks that are just you know they're just out out to have a good time. They're trying to catch a few fish. Typically, channel catfish are what those folks are going to be targeting and what they're going to catch with the tactics that they use. And so, most of the time, they're fish in that three to the eight or 10 pound range or, or kind of what they can expect. Okay. So does that make channel catfish kind of a good starter fish to get kids hooked in on fishing? Well, see, it, it really depends and it depends a lot on your kid in my opinion. So one of the things that, that I've seen in, in dealing with a lot of kids that I try to teach fish and working with a lot of them, by and large, when you're going to go fish for catfish, right, you're going to, you're going to cast out and you're going to soak a, a live bait or, or a prepared bait in most cases. So whether you're fishing off a bobber or fishing off a bottom, you cast once and then you sit there and watch your rod for 15 to 30 minutes. Then you might check your bait. That's going to be torture for a kid. And so what what I like to do is maybe put out a catfish rod or two and then have another activity for that kid, even if they have a practice bobber or a practice plug on another rod so they can practice casting while you're waiting on a catfish to bite. Um, in my experience, kids need something a little more active. Okay. But by that same token, if you're on the lake shore and you've got some, your catfish lines out, right, uh, Kids can still run up and down the bank and look at things. They can still try to catch crawdads. There's a whole host of other things they can do while they're waiting on a catfish to bite. Yeah. Um, but in my experience, expecting the kids to sit in a lawn chair and just wait for that catfish to bite is you need to have another activity planned. Okay. Okay. That's good advice. Well, I'd like to get into... You, you piqued my interest with talking about how the trophy fishermen are using really different tactics than than maybe your weekend angler just going out. But before before we get into that, let's talk a little bit more about catfish in New Mexico and then their management. So since they're found throughout the state, are all of the catfish species native to New Mexico? Well, they're native to some portion of the state. Okay. For example, channel catfish are all around the state, but they're really only native in the Canadian drainage. So, conscious ute and out that corner of the state, um, where blues and flatheads are both native to the to the Pecos and the Rio Grande, um, you know, from that middle of the state south, probably. They probably ranged a little further north, all the way up to the Santa Fe and some of those areas back when before dams have kind of slowed some of that down, I think. But so when you look at the state as a whole, they are all native to some portion of the state 
but certain populations have been introduced. Okay. Okay, so, so knowing that, do all of the catfish species reproduce naturally across the state, or do they need to be stocked, or, or, or both? Well, it's, it's a mixture of both. So the, the vast majority of our catfish fisheries are wild. They are naturally um, reproducing, whether they're native or whether they're introduced. Those, those fish are in the reservoirs. The adults are mating, and they're raising young, and those young are developing into fish that we're harvesting and eating. We do supplement channel catfish stockings around the state. Um, most of the time we're stocking those fish into small urban waters that are highly pressured where you just can't get enough reproduction out of the system to support the number of anglers that go there. And we do some of that in the larger reservoirs as well. We, we have done a little bit of work. Um, bullheads are kind of notorious in small ponds for overrunning and, and stunting in a pond. And so you just have a whole pond full of these four and five inch bullheads. So recently we moved flathead catfish from Elephant Butte to Clayton Lake in the northeast portion of the state in order to have that bigger predator fish in there to help control those bullheads. And that's been, that was a really good project for us. We, we saw a big change in the population of bullheads. That's very cool. Very cool. But the regular stocked fish are, are those taken from other waters kind of like those flatheads were or or are they raised in the hatcheries or or where do they come from so we currently do not raise any catfish in our hatcheries so all the catfish that are stocked in the state we purchase from out-of-state suppliers most of those fish farms are in that arkansas area okay um and we have two programs running with those channel catfish so one program is what we call our summer catfish which is there's 31 waters around the state, and we stock them five times a year with these fish that are about a pound and a half average. So those that's about an 18-inch fish. But that load usually has a mix of one-pound fish up to seven- or eight-pound fish in them. And so they're, they're certainly a catchable. Those fish are put in these small water bodies around the state, um, like I say, five times a year, and they're there for people to catch and, and take. Now, in those waters, you can only keep two of those fish. Then we have another program where we're trying to stock, where we don't have a lot of catfish reproduction um, for assorted reasons. We're stocking about a 10-inch fish in hopes that they will grow within within that water body to be a harvestable fish for somebody. And that's part of an evaluation that we're starting to wrap up. we just have a year or two of data collection left to go on that, I think. Okay. Okay, but but no, um, there's obviously a smaller bag limit, but no size limits or anything within within those those special programs? No, there, there's no length limits on, on catfish anywhere in the state. We try to keep this program as simple as we can. Um, but once again, those summer catfish waters are what historically were called big cat waters. You can only have two channel catfish per day out of those waters okay okay and you said there were 31 of those so that's a that's a lot of water so people just need to go to our website and there's a list of of those waters there yeah there there's a list of those waters there there's a list of those waters on in the the rules and information book okay and most of these waters are are very small things so for example tingley beach that you've got those small ponds in the middle of town. Um, Grants has a small pond. Eunice, Jow, um, Santa Rosa, Las Cruces. A lot of these mis- municipalities have a, a small pond in a park that are only a, a couple of acres, and that's where the most of those fish go. Well, so knowing that you've got kind of these two different <laughs> stocking programs and that sounded like a really cool project where you're using the the flatheads that control the the bullheads. What what other management activities and and projects go on in the catfish world? Are, are there um, surveys or anything like that? Yes. Yeah, so it, we try to evaluate all of the stockings that we're doing. So oftentimes we find out that things that people believed in and and things that were started 
before your tenure as a biologist that everybody believed in may not necessarily be efficient or productive. So the, the project that I've been working on for the last several years, we've been through multiple iterations to try and maximize our channel catfish stocking efforts. So basically what we found is when you stock small channel catfish in that three inch range, we get very, very low survival unless it's a, a water body that just doesn't have any other fish in it. So stocking those as a, is basically a waste of fish just because they're not going to survive and they're never going to grow for, a, for an angler to catch them. Are, are they just so, being eaten by other fish or, or what's causing that? I, I think it varies with the water body, right? I, I, I think that there, there can be a host of factors that impact that. And so in one water body, it may be that there just isn't enough forage base or enough food for those little fish at the right time of year that they kind of starve out. In some water bodies, there may be a lot of largemouth bass that eat them all. So it just varies a lot. So the the evaluation we undertook is you'll drive yourself crazy trying to, with with that many waters around the state that we're trying to look at, we're trying to manage fish, you'll go nuts trying to take each water and identify the limiting factor for every species in it. So we just took this broad approach. We selected, I think I've got 10 of them now. A couple have probably dropped off. And we decided that we wanted to stock catfish in those waters because we knew that they had limited reproduction, but they had people there looking for catfish. And we're trying to to come up with the best strategy for us to to get catfish to grow in there. So through that evaluation, we found out the small fish didn't survive. Right. So we moved to a larger size fish that we're stocking in those waters. And that's part of what our current evaluation is is going on to now. So what you'll probably see in the next four or five years is some of those waters um, will probably be taken out of that put grow management. And they'll probably just get some catchable catfish just because whether it's because of the elevation and the temperature regime or the forage base, they just don't recruit and grow catfish, at least not in any sane time frame. How are you evaluating that? Is that electroshocking or how how do you survey that no with channel catfish we catch them electroshocking but it's it's kind of inconsistent so the method that was developed in missouri and is and is really kind of in the last 15 or 20 years and it's really become basically the standard for channel catfish and small impoundments all around the nation is we use baited hoop nets so they look like a big minnow trap Basically, they're, uh, each, each hoop net is the front ring is about three feet around and the entire net is right at 12 or 15 feet long and it has a two funnel mouths in them to use as a fish trap. We tie three of those together and then we bait those. Typically, I use a, some kind of a high protein cattle feed, um, range cube. And, and then so the, the cat, we put those nets out and they sit for three days. The catfish are attracted there and they work their way into those fish traps. So if you've seen them, I can't even remember the names of the shows, but there's a couple of different shows where they, um, commercially catch catfish and do some different things. And it's a, it's a very similar trap to what those guys use. But you're using cattle feed. Yes. So some states use soybean or soybean cake because that's what's available to them. Some places use rotten cheese and cheese trimmings from a cheese plant. I used to buy a commercially, it was a commercial bait for commercial cat fishermen that was a mixture of grains and, and cheese and fermented cheese that came in this block. But the, the gentleman that we used to get that from, and, and that was kind of the nationwide standard, is everybody used that, so we were all using a consistent bait. Um, but then that old guy actually passed away, and he took the recipe with him. <laughs> and and everybody that tried to replicate the recipe messed it up. So the last time I bought that bait, it was actually full of these little sharp bones because they put a bunch of rotten tilapia in it. Oh. And it's... It smelled horrible, and it was 
like handling a dead porcupine. It's awful. <laughs> so, so we did some evaluations um, and shifted over to this to, to range cube, basically. Um, it's available. It's easy, and we saw no difference in our catches with it. Nice. Well, kind of along those lines, then you're talking about range cubes, and that the way my brain works made me think about branding. And I've heard a little bit about catfish branding in New Mexico. Can you tell us a little bit about what that is and why and how it's done? So, in order to to evaluate those fish that we were stocking, right? I talked about stocking those subadult fish and and those little fish that we're stocking around the state, because there's already catfish in most of those waters, in order to know that that those catfish are surviving, we needed to mark them somehow. And so when you're when you're handling a lot of fish and you've and you've got to mark tens of thousands of them, you need something that's that's fairly efficient to go do, along with and maybe this is just because of my upbringing in the world that I've always lived in. It needs to be cheap. <laughs> so you can put, there's a lot of different kind of tags that you can put in fish and they, they all have various uses and they have various things that they can work. But what we decided to do was, was brand these channel catfish and we use cold branding. So you use liquid nitrogen to cool your, whatever shape you want to mark on those fish and then the fish are anesthetized and then you hold them against that branding iron. Now it's not like a hot brand that makes a big scar on, on catfish. It tends, it affects the the pigment of the skin more. And then, so it'll just be a discolored place on the fish. Um, it didn't last as long as we had hoped. After about three or four years, that brand tends to fade away. But it's not, it's also not, we're not taking branding irons and, and hitting those fish. Um, we have a, a reservoir that we fill with liquid nitrogen and it has some pipe nipples coming off the bottom that have a cap. So it, you take the fish and hold it up against the branding iron and then drop the fish back into your tank. Okay. Okay. And it's not really something that, if I was out on the water and caught a fit, caught a catfish, I wouldn't necessarily even know that it that it had been branded. If you if you knew what you were looking for, I think the vast majority of those fish are are probably out of the system now. We stopped branding fish four years ago, I think. Um, there may be a few around, but they're, the brands are starting to get pretty faded. But they basically it would look like that fish was wearing a belt. We branded them across their bellies. Other states have marked catfish up on their backs, but most of our lakes have clear water, so our catfish tend to be darker colored, and the brands just didn't show up. So they they would have a mark across their belly, and some would be a peak, and some would be a flat bar. But like I say, those those fish are starting to get old enough now that it it's pretty tough to see that mark. Okay. Well, that's still a cool project, and it sounds like there's lots of Lots of cool things going on in in the the catfish management world. Well, we we're we're trying to. The unfortunate thing with with catfish is it's pretty difficult for us to to communicate with the catfish anglers themselves. One of the things that's important on a lot of fisheries is actually dealing with the anglers and you know and doing what we call creel surveys. So you're you're finding out how long those anglers have been fishing, how many fish they're catching, etc. And with cat fishermen, one, they're somewhat secretive a lot of times, and two, it's all, they're oftentimes out in the middle of the night, so it, it just makes a lot of complications to get data on that side of the world. So, so we have to try to be a little bit ingenious in how we collect information. Sure, sure. Well, well talking about anglers let's kind of shift gears back that way from the kind of the management side back to the sport fishing kind of side so we talked about that there's basically catfish all over the state 
So if, if I decide I'm, I'm going to go catfishing and I'm going to a, a water I've never been before, what should I look for when I show up? What, what features of, of lakes or, or even rivers should we look for to specifically target catfish? And, and are those, is that different for the different catfish species? Well, it certainly can be different for the different catfish species, and then it varies a little bit by the time of year. When you're when you're targeting channel catfish, it's a lot easier to target them if you're in a place that has a little bit of flow. That you know, catfish they have all those they have those whiskers that stick out, and those those whiskers are not for feeling like a cat does. They they have actual taste buds out on those whiskers. And that allows a catfish to detect and follow a scent trail in the water, much like a hammerhead shark does, right? Because those whiskers are further apart, it just gives that fish a little definition to stay in a scent trail and, and move in and find prey. So if you have, if you have a, a little bit of flow, you effectively fish a larger area. So if you've got a bait that's sitting there and there's no water flow, that fish is going to have to naturally wander by that bait within a few feet to go, oh, I smell something good to eat and go get it. If you have flow, that fish might be a 100 yards below downstream of your bait, and he'll start working his way upstream to find it. So with channel catfish, a little flow can be very beneficial. So most people... um if they're fishing in reservoirs, they try to fish towards that upper end of the reservoir um, where the river comes in and there's a little bit of flow. The The other thing that I that I like to do is if I'm on a reservoir and I'm not going to be on that upper end where there's flow is I like to find a point that comes out into the lake. And some of that is for convenience because I can fish off one side of the point for a little while and then I can fish off the other side of the point for a little while. And I can just cover a larger area as I'm as I'm working my baits around. With blues and with flatheads, um, flatheads in, when they're in the rivers, man, they're stuck up in those brush piles. So if you look at the outside of the creek bends, oftentimes that place is going to be a little bit deeper. Maybe have an undercut bank. Maybe have a tree stuck in that bank. That's where those flatheads are going to be hanging out. The blues, they tend to just poke around in the reservoirs and, and honestly, an elephant butte, I feel like they follow the shad most of the year. And I, I think that's the bulk of what they feed on. So depending on where the zooplankton's blooming, and you just have to kind of have to spend some time poking around the lake to, to kind of figure out the areas that they're in. Okay. Okay. So a little more mobile for those then. Yeah. They're, they're a lot. In my experience, they're a lot more of a pelagic fish, but a lot of times you can look at a reservoir and, and kind of read it a little bit. So let's assume that you're going to, that you're on Elephant Butte and a lot of times you, if, if you're fishing from the bank, right, you only, you're going to have to fish where you've got access. And so that's where I like those points and those places where I can get out and I can fish and I can cover more water without having to walk so far up and down the bank. If you're in a boat and you have access all around the lake, remember when when wind blows, right, it, it makes waves and it blows that water up onto the bank. Well, as the water goes onto the bank, then it has to recede back shore and it has to run off. When this runs into canyons a certain way or if it's on a part of the lake where the topography enables it to, you get a little bit of flow because of that. The waves crash onto shore and then they flow back into the water. And so you get a little water movement going on that way. Oftentimes that stirs up the zooplankton and attracts the shad um, and, and in turn will attract these other fish. Okay. Okay, and, and you said that time of the year, the season kind of plays into this as well? Yes, by and large, people, cat fishermen are out for the summer. Um, it seems to me like catfish can be 
and when I say summer, I, I guess technically some of it is spring. It's it's more of a of a May through October thing for me. I don't do a lot of winter catfishing. I know that there are a few people that do, but in general, I don't. Um, I kind of want to go when the when the weather's nice, and I'm typically fishing through the evening. So I kind of like the springtime frame, especially if you can go out and do some evening fishing before the bugs get bad. Yeah, and you had also mentioned that connecting with fishermen, with cat fishermen, was kind of hard sometimes because they were fishing at night. So is night time a better time to fish? Very much so. So even in, in some of the the creel work that we've done in some of our small water bodies and, and things, um, an example is Lake Van here at Dexter close to Roswell, 97, oh, well over 90% of the fish caught were caught between uh, it was like 10 o'clock and 1 a.m. or something like that. It's, it's definitely a, a nighttime type activity. It, is that just because of a difference in, in water temperature or what, what, why is it, that? It's more about the way catfish forage it, because they, they tend to be, Attracted more with smells, attracted more with just kind of moving around and, and remember other things like to eat catfish as well. They just tend to work at night and it's in those low light periods. That's, that's when catfish are just more efficient at going out to hunt and find fish. I'm not saying they won't eat in the daytime. Um, and especially stock fish. Because oftentimes they're conditioned because they're fed during the daytime, but but even those stocked fish, man, you just you catch way more of them. Okay, okay. Well, well, then getting into catching fish, what what are the legal methods of take for catfish? I guess is it just hooking a line, or can you use things like trot lines, jug lines, things like that? So so in New Mexico, you're you have to catch fish with a hook and line, right? Um, or you can do bow fishing, but and spear fishing, but you you can't noodle, right? Noodle is popular in some other states for especially for big flatheads and rivers and stuff. And, and noodling is not legal in New Mexico. You have to catch those fish with with a hook and line, which is our definition of angling. So you can use up to if you have a second rod stamp, you can use two rods. Right? There's no limit to the number of hooks you could put on each rod. So if you want to cast out a rod that has two hooks with two different kinds of bait or something like that, that's certainly legal. A popular way to catch catfish and an efficient way to catch catfish is with a trot line. So whether it's a trot line, um, a limb line, what they call a ditty pole in some other places. Um, in Texas, they fish a lot of jug lines. All of those things are under the same regulation in New Mexico, and they're all classified as a trot line. So that means you can have one. Okay. So in New Mexico, you can have one trot line with up to 25 hooks. So if you if you choose to fish a traditional, what some folks would call a jug line, you can only have one, right? Um, and a jug line is essentially a vertical trot line. Sure. So you can, you can fish that jug line, but you can only fish one. Um, and there's places in Texas where guys will put out 25 jug lines, right? And then they kind of sit there and watch them. And that is not legal. Okay, so so is a classic trot line where the one long line with the individual hooks coming down ever so often, is that the most effective method then to use in, in New Mexico? Yes, because... It, for instance, if I, if I go to Texas and I'm going to chase the big blues or, or flatheads, I will fish jug lines. I only put a couple of hooks on each jug, and I put out five or six jugs. And they're, it lets me kind of spread out my trot line effort into some different places. In New Mexico, we can't do that. So each pers- for each person, you get one line. Typically, I prefer to, to tie from from rock and tree or tree to tie between two solid objects. Some people will tie to a solid object and then have a weight that they set on the bottom 
out in the lake. Um, I don't prefer that method. Then, you know, every every three feet or so, you have a, a stage with a swivel and then a hook. Most of the time, and when I was doing a lot of this work, trying to use trot lines to evaluate catfish fisheries, it, it's still an evening bite. You, you make sure that your lines are, are baited there in the evening, and then you come back and run them in the morning. Um, by law, you have to run them each calendar day and remove the fish off of them. Some people will use live bait on their trot lines. Um, I used to really like to use a lot of uh, just bait shrimp that you could buy in a lot of the affiliated foods grocery stores. But but what I found is if you're going to a water body that has a lot of sunfish, that bait doesn't last very long and they beat it off. So so I use a lot of uh, cut carp. There's there's some prepared baits, but a lot of guys like to use a shad gut or, or cut shad, but some kind of a dead bait. In my experience, prepared baits, the commercial catfish baits like you buy in the store, don't don't last well on a trot line. Okay, well, well, I guess two follow-ups on that. So since you're only checking once a day, does the trot line have to be marked in some way? Yes, so you above the water line, that's a, the thing about a trot line is it doesn't have to be closely attended, but it has to have a, a visible tag above the water line. So if you're, if you're tied into a bush, you can... My grandfather always used some type of a little bottle that he would put his information in and tie it up there. But you can just write it on a piece of cardboard, hang it in that tree. And it needs your CIN number, your customer identification number. If you're a, if it's a kid under 12, they don't have to have a fishing license, right? So they can, they can just put their date of birth on there. Okay. Okay. And, and then my second follow up question you had mentioned or talked about different baits or are there any restrictions on the types of of bait fish that you can use well if you're you're using live bait right you're restricted to what you can use in in certain watersheds for example in the pecos watershed you can use fathead minnows or red shiners so but where this in my experience i don't I don't do a lot of catfishing with live minnows, but if I was going to go to Elephant Butte and try to catch a big blue cat, or if I was going to go try to catch a big flathead, I like to use live sunfish. So live bluegills, live green sunfish, something like that. The, the caveat to those is they have to be caught with a hook and line by a legal angling method in the water body that you're going to use them. You can't go catch a bunch of bluegills at some lake and then haul them across the state to another place to fish with them. Okay, and you can't catch them in a net. You've got to catch them hook and line. Yes, sir. You cannot, they're, because they're classified as a game fish, so you cannot catch them in a trap or anything like that. Along those lines of tactics, what about what about chumming? And is, is, that, is chumming legal in New Mexico? Chumming is legal in New Mexico, as long as you're not using anything toxic and you're not littering. So most people that are going to chum for catfish are using some type of a soured grain. So you can go buy a bag of hen scratch or cracked corn or whatever. Um, You mix, put it in a bucket, fill it with water and let it set a couple of weeks. And then you can broadcast that grain out around your, your fishing hole. Some people will use a, They'll take a nylon stocking or or some type of a of a mesh bag, and they'll put some attractants in it of some kind, whether it's old keys, old animal parts, whatever. But make sure that you can retrieve that bag that you're not leaving that something out there as a as a form of litter. Um, some people will just use uh, canned cat food or or dog food as a chum. In my experience, you need those in some type of a little bag to kind of hold it together, maybe a nylon stocking, something along those lines. But make sure you put a string on it so you can recover it. You're not just throwing that stuff out in the lake. Okay. Okay, is, is that something you can do right then when you're going fishing, or is that something you want to do the night before or, 
or something like that? You know, it, it depends on, on a lot on what activities you have and, and where you're going to be. So a, a real diehard cat fisherman that's, say, fishing out of a boat on a lake or, or maybe even fishing a, a, a big stretch of the lower Pecos here, there around Carlsbad, most of the time what they'll do is bait three or four different holes and they'll do it for three or four days before you start fishing. And that way you can kind of rotate from hole to hole that you've baited to catch fish. Sometimes it, it doesn't hurt to try and chum a little bit, at, you know, but if you're only going to fish for a couple of hours, trying to go and chum and catch fish right over that is, is really a wasted effort. You need some, you need some advanced time frames on that. And it, it varies a little bit on, what you're using for chum and how much chum you can use and and the way it works in a water body some lakes you'll find that that after about a day the fish have come and gone some lakes you'll find that if you come by there and you chum that that spot every day for three or four days that you'll catch all the fish that you can handle so it, it just it just varies a little bit don't be afraid to experiment and one of the main things about fishing and, and getting better at fishing is is paying attention to those kind of things. Okay, and, and along those lines, talking about catching a, a lot of catfish at a time, you had mentioned that summer catfish waters has a bag limit of only two catfish. So what what about the waters outside of the summer catfish waters? What are, what are bag limits? So, so you can have 15 catfish as a group not including bullheads so and those are in that that is a group of those catfish so most of the time what we see are folks with groups of of channel cats but you you cannot have 15 channel cats 15 flatheads and 15 blues that is not legal you can have 15 catfish which can be made up of all three of those species well i'd like for us to dive into some more fishing tactics but but i had one more follow-up question you had mentioned that bow fishing or spear fishing for catfish was legal in new mexico can you talk a little bit about that yes so i can't even remember when that rule was changed but so bow fishing and and spear fishing are legal for for sport fish in new mexico in in our reservoirs i don't think that you're going to Spear fishing, you definitely find a catfish or two, um, and folks shoot a few doing that spear fishing. Um, bow fishing, it's so rare that you find them in a location where you can actually shoot at them that that that's not much of a tactic really for the for the catfish. But it it is legal. Okay, but but only in reservoirs, so not in in rivers and streams and that kind of thing. Correct. Okay, and your bag limit is the is the same still. Yes, all the the same rules apply for bow fishing and and spear fishing. Okay. Okay. Well, well, getting back to the traditional angler and getting getting back into what you had mentioned uh, earlier that the trophy angler is using different tactics than than just the regular weekend cat fishermen. What what are what are some of those tactics that those trophy anglers where they're targeting those those really big catfish what what are the tactics that they are using so if if i'm going to go out and i'm and i'm looking for big blues or big flatheads i'm going to fish a fairly large live bait so at elephant butte sometimes the bait shops have golden shiners which are a great big bait fish um they're kind of expensive most of the time when I'm doing it, I will take my worms and my little hooks and I'll go poke around and I'll catch a basket of, uh, of sunfish, bluegills or green sunfish, whatever. And then I'm, I'm using that, that big bait. One thing that a lot of people get hung up with catfish is they always think they have to go to the deepest spot in the lake and they have to fish on the bottom. Sometimes that's the best way to go, but Man, in, in my experience, and especially for flatheads in that July and August time frame, those fish tend to be up fairly shallow. They're in that warmer water looking for stuff to eat. So so whether you're using a balloon for a bobber um, or you're fishing that bluegill 
on a heavy weight with a long leader so it can swim up a little bit. If you're fishing from the bank, depending on where you're at and what the topography is, sometimes it's a whole lot better to cast parallel to shore and fish south, fish shallower than it is to cast straight out and fish way deep. Oftentimes in the summer, there's no oxygen in those deeper parts of the lake. If you're in a boat, I like to to lay out so that I can drift and let the let the boat drift and have a, a big float or a big bobber of some kind that keeps that bait up in that, that top six or eight feet of water. And you're using specifically live bait for both blues and, and flatheads. Yes. I'm not saying that you're never going to catch them on a dead bait because people do. Fish are like anything else. They, they have different appetites and different personalities. And you, if you get something in front of them that they foresee as food, they're going to grab it. Um, but if you want to catch big fish, you can't be fooling with small fish taking your bait, right? If, if you want to catch a big fish, in most cases, you need a big bait. And that keeps a small fish from running in there and stealing the bait just before the big fish bites it. And it just makes something more appetizing for those large fish. What about if you're wanting to target big channel catfish? Now, that's not a live bait situation, right? No. I mean, mean, you can catch them on live bait. And sometimes um, folks do well. But in general, when you're going to chase channel catfish, that's when folks like to use the prepared catfish baits, the old catfish charlie or some kind of dip bait, chicken livers, cut carp. When you're looking for, particularly for big channel catfish, in my opinion, it's a little bit more about where you fish. It seems like when you're in the spot, you know, you'll catch 14-inch fish, 16-inch fish, and then a five-pounder may come by and grab it. So it, it's not as, as much tactic-driven as it is location-driven, I think. My opinion, anyway. Okay. Okay. Do you have a favorite bait for channel catfishing or use a variety? I, I use a variety, and, and a lot of things work, right? Night crawlers, chicken livers. There's a whole host of things that work. Um, and I'll be honest with you, if I'm going to go fish for the summer catfish, which are those fish come from a hatchery. They've been raised on fish food their whole life. A lot of people probably aren't, aren't going to want to hear this, but I'm going to use hot dogs. Okay. I, I firmly believe that there is some type of, of a protein that's in hot dogs that's also in that commercial fish food. There's something there that, that makes that hot dog appetizing for those fish, and I've, I've experimented with it continually. Sometimes I take the hot dogs and put some jello on them, um, just like the powdered jello, like you would make jello with. But most of the time, just that hot dog works. Chicken livers work well. They just don't stay on the hook quite as well. There's, and there's a whole ton of techniques and things that you can use. If you're starting out and you're gonna, you're a family that's gonna go to one of these summer catfish waters because it's close to your house, I would definitely try to fish in the evening and I would try to fish fairly close to when those fish are stocked. You can find that out by giving us a call or looking on the website on Fridays, they post the stocking reports and I would fish with hot dogs. They're clean and convenient. That's, that's good advice. So, so along those lines, we've talked about targeting really big fish and and we've talked about families getting out just to catch some fish moving into those fish that you've caught are you keeping those really big catfish to eat or are you only keeping smaller ones to eat what what's your uh, strategy on that so once again it gets back to what a person thinks of as as a big fish so in general i like to eat fish in that three to four pound range um i've eaten some big fish some some 25 pounders or so. And, and some of it, I think depends on the water. And I think there's some different techniques that you can do on those bigger fish to remove some of the fat, but they have, to me, they have more of a musty taste and the fish tends to be, the flesh tends to be a little mushier. 
And I don't know how much of that is the cooking technique because of the thickness of the filet and how much of it is just the way the fish is. But for me, those those three to four pounders make a nice filet that, that cooks nice and tends to have a nice flavor. Um, and depending on the water body, I think that we still have some consumption advisories around the state for catfish. And so you, you definitely want to look at that with the state environment department's website or in our rule and information book. And now all of them say that you can eat the fish, the catfish, but some of them say that you might should only eat two meals a month or something along those lines. Okay. Okay. And, and like you said, that information's in the rules and information booklet. Yes, sir. Right there towards the back, there's a whole page of, of how to read the table and, and what, and what species are listed on it. In general, the bigger the fish, the more possibility you have for that fish to have contaminants if you're in some type of water like that. But once again, I don't think there's any catfish water in New Mexico that has a do not consume advisory. So the the fish are safe to eat. It's just sometimes you need to eat them in a little more moderation. Okay. And that's just heavy metal kind of thing? Um. It varies with the different locations. Some place there's some PCB stuff. Some place there's some mercury. Um, at one point, we had some issues in Brantley with um, DDT, but those have all since cleaned up for the most part. Okay. Well, you said you like to eat the fish in the three to five pound range. So, what what are your favorite ways to prepare or cook catfish that you've caught? I'm I'm a pretty traditional guy. Um, and I'm battered in cornmeal and, and deep fried. I've, I've baked some catfish and you do some, some different barbecue things on the grill and stuff like that. And they, they all turn out well. Catfish is really pretty, a pretty mild fish. And so my favorite way is, is definitely the traditional cornmeal deep fried. Um, I do make catfish ceviche for my family fairly often. So if you're not familiar with ceviche, the, it's essentially a, a pickled fish. So you take the raw fish, and then you use a, a mixture of citrus, grapefruit juice, lime juice, lemon juice, etc. And you let it sit there for, for a couple, three hours, and the fish turns white, and it looks cooked, but it's in reality it's pickled. And then you add onions and cilantro and avocado and all kinds of other stuff to it. Um, that sounds like pretty good. It it works really well with catfish, actually. Nice, nice. That makes me hungry. <laughs> no, it, that's actually one of my one of my favorite ways to to do it, and my, and my family really likes it that way. But I and I I just not have never have been big on baked fish and and that kind of thing. Catfish works well on about about any way you want to do it. That's why they're the number one channel catfish or the number one commercial fish in the U.S. For that reason makes sense well we're, we're getting close to running out of time for today so do you have i guess any last minute words of advice for folks wanting to get out and try some catfishing in new mexico this summer the main thing about about catfishing is is remember that in general catfish angling is is a more relaxed kind of deal and slower paced so don't expect to go out in in most cases and you're going to catch 15 fish in an hour. That typically that's not the way catfish fisheries are. It's usually a fair amount slower even if you chumped fish in. Um and in my experience catfish are pretty susceptible to noise. So if you're banging around in a boat or if you're stomping around too much on the bank, that tends to make catfishing a little bit slower and you don't catch as many. But the main thing is is just try to go fish a little bit. Any type of of fishing rod you can get your hands on, um, make sure you've got – it doesn't have to be big line, but it's fresh line that's in pretty good shape. And then especially in these summer cat waters that we stock around the state, a slip sinker and some hot dogs, and sometimes even on a bobber, and, and you can get some activity with those fish. All right. 
All right. Well, that's that's some good advice there. Well, I think that's about all we have time for today. Uh, Sean, thanks for joining us and, and getting us ready to get out and, and do some catfishing. Not a problem. And there, there's lots of resources out there on the, the Internet and the, around on YouTube and different places about using trot lines and, and different tactics. Just be sure, once again, that in New Mexico, for example, you can only have one trot line. It's not legal to noodle catfish. Just because you see somebody have a method where they catch catfish in, in Arkansas doesn't mean it's legal here. So by all means, contact us and we'll, we'll help you work that out if you want to try it. That's good advice. Good advice. Well, thank you all for tuning in today. Be sure and check out our other episodes and the New Mexico Wildlife Publications online. And get outside and enjoy all the outdoor recreation opportunities New Mexico has to offer. And we'll see you next time.